This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Kate Thwaites, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you for having me. Very timely book, Enough is Enough, and it is enough. I'm finding I'm at the end of my tether in terms of um, people's behaviour, so this is a really timely conversation. Let me just introduce you uh, for those people that might not know who you are. In 2019, Kate Thwaites was elected as the Federal Labor Member for the seat of Jagger Jagger in Melbourne. Before being elected to Parliament, Kate was an ABC TV and radio reporter. She also worked for former member for Jagger Jagger Jenny Macklin to deliver important reforms, including the National Disability Insurance Scheme and paid parental leave. Kate has now written a book with Jenny, and it's called Enough is Enough, an investigation of the culture of sexual violence and harassment in Parliament House and a call for structural change. Oh, my God, it's kind of shocking, isn't it? It is shocking. I think this whole year has been, in a way, terrible story after terrible story. And what we wanted to do with this book was make sure that um, what happened with those stories was we continued to push for change because I think um, we have had so many brave women tell their stories this year and I really want to pay tribute to women like Brittany Higgins, to Grace Tame, the women who have spoken out about their experiences and have said, it's no longer acceptable to be silent. And for Jenny and I, as women who are elected and women who actually, well, I'm currently elected, Jenny was elected for 23 years, as women who um, actually believe in the parliament as a place that can create positive change for women, um, we really wanted to use this moment and those stories to say there has been positive change in the history of feminism in the Australian parliament, but now is the time for us to do so much more. And in the book, we're really arguing that, you know, one of the things we we really looked at was what has changed since Jenny was first elected 23 years ago to me being elected, as you're saying, just in 2019. And um, looking at that scope from women really just starting to be in the room and, and being allowed to be in the room to now where it's much more common to have women in the room. But as Brittany Higgins' story shows us, they're still not safe in the room. So what's the change we need now? Um, It's for women to be safe in the room, to be heard, um, and for us to do the work both in the parliament and across our community. That actually means that women and men are genuinely equal. I've spoken to Julia Gillard a number of times and she always plays this down, right? But when I think about the treatment that she endured as a prime minister, it is a shocking, shocking indictment on who we are as a people, that we accepted that and what that toxic environment that she was in. And those people, they've never been held accountable. The names that people called her, the way that woman was treated, and it really told, it was a message to all of us that it's not necessarily the electorate 
that doesn't want women. It's actually what's happening in Parliament House that don't want women. It, look, it, you're absolutely right. It is an indictment. And I think, um, you know, Julia's story, I think, shows us um, how incredibly effective women can be in politics. Um, if you think mm-hmm. of all Julia achieved, and one of the things I reflect on in the book is actually, um, you know, I was a political staffer during the Gillard government. I worked for Jenny when she was a minister at that stage. So my personal experiences of being a staffer in Parliament House are actually of working for very powerful women and seeing the positive change um, they can bring about in this country, which is probably really why I'm an MP now. But it was interesting when writing the book, um, Jenny and I spent a lot of time talking about what it was like for her at that time and earlier in her political career as well in the parliament. And very much Jenny's reflection was that the attitude at the time was these were not things you drew attention to. So poor behaviour, misogyny, you know, being treated differently because you're a woman, that was something you were really just expected to put up with. And, um, you know, in that sort of broader Australian culture to laugh off that you wouldn't, if you were going to draw attention to it, then really you're probably not cut out for politics. You you shouldn't be there. And the reflection we ended up making um, as we sort of tried to take this journey of, well, what's changed in Australian politics? Where are we now? What's the change we need still? We ended up reflecting that the moment we're at now is actually different because we can call it out. So for an MP... so recent though. It is. It's really recent. It's just happening now. It, yeah. it, absolutely. Yes, it wasn't the case in the time when Julia was a PM. And, you know, one of Jenny's reflections from being a minister in that time was they didn't feel they could call it out at the time. With hindsight, does she wish she could have? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. But at the time, it would have been seen as being playing the gender card. But what's different now is that we are talking about it and that actually we can call it out. Now, that's not the end point. I think that's a starting point where in politics, I think actually when an issue is discussed, it becomes much more powerful. But the issues that don't get discussed in our politics are the ones that continue to um, cause inequality. So if we're calling it out, it means there's a political problem there, there's a political issue there that we can push for change on. So certainly you know, from where I sit now and, and the, I think being able to talk about this and being able to name it is actually quite powerful. It's not everything. So that it, it doesn't it doesn't give us the accountability and the change yet that we need, but it's a start. So for those that listen to the podcast, people will know that I show my colours politically all the time. I've taken on the US model where I'll say loud and proud that I'm left and I'm Labor through and through. However, this is an issue that's been on both sides. Very disappointingly, very bipartisan, hasn't it? Yeah, no, um, you know, I'm a Labor MP, but I would absolutely not say um, that this is a cultural issue just on one side. It's an issue within the way that Parliament House operates. And, and again, this is something we spend some time in the book exploring, the fact that Parliament House, it's really a different workplace to anywhere else, I think, in, in the country. And I've spent some time um, working in the media, working in not-for-profits. I worked in the public service for a while. I think what you have in Parliament House is a system where every MP is an employer, but all those MPs have come from really different backgrounds and they aren't necessarily trained in what it looks like to be a modern employer. So all those structures that every other um, workplace I think now has in place, things around 
how you don't harass staff, the kind of workplace that you set up where staff are not harassed, that training just doesn't happen in Parliament House it in a way we're, we're stuck me. decades behind. Yeah, it, it, it is amazing. That Genuinely, you have to be trained not to rape people, not to assault people, not to be calling out, you know, names. It, it's mind-boggling that that has to be training. That's a good point, but I do think in workplaces across the country there is training around that. And I there think, is. you know, yes, you would hope across the board that that didn't happen. But let's be honest, we don't have an equal society, and part of the way we change that is we tell people that's unacceptable. So I think in workplaces. People in other workplaces, people are told that's unacceptable. It doesn't actually happen in the parliament at the moment. So it's a massive gap. Um, we've got a massive gap in terms of independent processes when something has happened. So Brittany Higgins talked a lot about this, that she felt like she was a political process to manage rather than that she had a clear pathway to go through to um, to raise her allegations and have them dealt with independently and with her feeling secure about that. I, I remember that time. I think I could have picked up the TV and thrown it against the wall yeah. at the time because Brittany, the response by the Prime Minister, and was very, very late uh, to Brittany's allegations were that there aren't proper systems in place to complain about it. So, well, hang on a second. That's not the point here. The point is... You can't go around sexually assaulting people. And that was not addressed. It it was mind-boggling that, and it was a cultural, I don't know whether it was just the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, or was that really how men in Parliament thought, oh, well, there wasn't a phone number that she could call to lodge a complaint. There wasn't a process that she could get a counsellor. No, 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 it wasn't about that. Let's go back a couple of steps, right? Yeah, so I think, you know, a couple of things there. One, the Prime Minister totally missed and continues to miss the anger yep. that Australian women and I think a lot of Australian men feel about this. So, um, you know, I opened the book by talking about um, that day in March when Brittany Higgins and when there was the March on Parliament and Brittany Higgins came and bravely spoke at that Women's March outside Parliament and I was out there listening to her with a lot of my female colleagues and some male colleagues. Um, I walked back into Parliament and Scott Morrison um talked about the fact that those protesters had the right to protest and they were lucky to protest because they weren't being shot mm. while they protest. I mean, another, I yeah. I was just shaking with anger at that point mm. because how far from understanding um, the anger and the hurt and the experience of Brittany Higgins and other women, um, that response was just miles and miles away. Um, in terms of, you know, what what is the culture, I think the problem with the, the central problem with the culture and the, the conclusion Jenny and I come to in the book is that there is a culture of impunity and entitlement. Um, so when these things are raised, not only are the systems not there, and I do think it is important that we have decent systems like okay. every other workplace does of and course. we just don't. We yeah. should have them. But not only are those systems there, but there are no genuine consequences. Everything in the end comes down to politics and in politics numbers are very important. So what we see time after time is allegations are made against men around sexual harassment, around poor behaviour, and there is not a system that results in those men facing serious consequences because these days generally the government of the day 
needs their number as a vote in the House. So we spent some time in the book looking at what's going on in parliaments elsewhere around the world because, surprise, surprise, the Australian Parliament is not the only parliament to be in this position. Um, The US, the UK, New Zealand, they've actually all had very similar issues come up in the past few years and have also had um, some quite wide-ranging reviews. And we looked at the system um, in the UK where they had a big review and at the end of that have come up with a system where there is an independent panel, totally independent of MPs, no MPs, no former MPs as a member of this expert panel that looks at complaints and that decides on um, consequences and suitable suitable consequences if those complaints are upheld. And at its most serious, that can include recommending that an MP is removed from the parliament. Now, that requires a a vote on the floor of parliament democracy um, to confirm it. But think about how powerful that is compared to what's happening in our parliament at the moment, where really there are no consequences to your ongoing employment, um, as we see um, from Barnaby Joyce snapping the Deputy Prime Minister again, um, from having really serious allegations of sexual harassment raised against you. Um, And, you know, concerningly, again, sort of I come back to this point that we just don't have systems in place to deal with these things. The woman who raised sexual harassment allegations against Barnaby Joyce, one of her big things that she said as part of that process was she was really disappointed with how the National Party handled that allegation and she didn't feel like it was handled well. So we really do have this massive gap there where we don't have the systems to deal with it and then even if things are being dealt with, there aren't consequences at the end of it. Okay, so I'm trying to get this in my head, so help me out with this thought. So you've got the Labor Party, you've got the Nationals looking at Australia, and, of course, you've got the Libs. So you put processes in place, and excuse my ignorance here, but I'm just trying to work out how it works. The Prime Minister at the end of the day is the boss, right? So whatever processes you put in play as members of parliament, is the Prime Minister accountable, like whoever the Prime Minister of the day is, or is it that the Prime Minister can come in and change everything? I mean, look what happened in the US with Donald Trump, you know, nothing, you know, everything was up for grabs and nothing worked and everything broke. And I feel here there is, you know, a sense of if you're going to look at processes, it's more likely going to come from the Labor Party than it is, say, from the Liberal Party or the Nationals. Yeah, look, you know, the Prime Minister is very powerful in our system and, like I was saying, numbers count. And he's the Prime Minister because he's got the numbers on the floor of the House and that's where things happen and that's where, you know, having the numbers is really important. But having said all that, political pressure counts. And so um, in terms of bringing about this change that I'm, I'm talking about, at the moment we have Kate Jenkins, who's the Sex Discrimination Commissioner, very well respected, conducting a really wide-ranging review that will end up with recommendations going to Parliament. Now, my hope is that those recommendations address those issues of no independent structures, no consequences for actions, and that the political pressure is such that the Prime Minister has to adopt them and then they will apply across the Parliament. So they won't just apply to Labor, They won't just apply to the Nationals. They won't just apply to the Liberals. They'll apply across the Parliament. But you're absolutely right. The political reality is the Prime Minister has the numbers. Um, So, again, in writing this book, one of the things Jenny and I are really trying to do is say and, and continue that pressure to say enough is enough. This is the moment. We have to put this change in place. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. We also have a prime minister that's probably been the most secretive prime minister in recent history, right? And how, how do you get that over the board with him sitting at the helm? Well, it's not easy. But again, I would say um, in politics, voices, numbers are important. And what we continue to have at the moment is women speaking out. And so I think, you know, this year, people and women in particular, we've kind of alternated between absolute despair to absolute fury to a bit of like, oh, is anything going to change? I am firmly in the this is our moment for change camp because now is a time where we can get change and, and that's because, as I said, we can now name the problem and we, we're naming it and can name it loudly. There are um, some of these structural things underway, reviews, a, a really serious review by Kate Jenkins, which, you know, the government is going to be under pressure and Scott Morrison is going to be under pressure to take seriously. And there is a bunch of women in the parliament and outside of the parliament who are not going to let this issue rest. So, you know, change in politics takes time. It doesn't happen overnight, um, you know, as part of the book, again, because we didn't want to get trapped in this feeling of despair um, and this feeling that nothing ever changes. We did spend a bit of time thinking about, well, what good things has the parliament ever done for Australian women? You know, is it just this place where actually women go to be harassed and talked down and um, treated poorly? And we decided, no, thankfully it's not. You know, the Sex Discrimination Act, which Susan Ryan brought in in, in the early 1980s, you know, I'm, I'm a bit ashamed to say, look, I was born in 1980. And so, to be honest, I, you know, probably hadn't thought enough about how revolutionary that, that piece of legislation actually is. It still is. Um, and how much it's set up for women to be in places that they were never able to be in before. So that... Um, if I think about the work that Jenny did to bring in paid parental leave, you know, our first paid parental leave scheme for Australian women 10 years ago, again, making this massive difference, particularly for women working more insecure or lower paid work, that for the first time, they could access paid leave to spend some time with their baby and then go back to a job rather than feeling like they have to resign or leave the workforce like that. That is a huge difference to women's lives. And um, again, in the book, it's one of the things that we talk about um, that it's probably time to update that scheme now. So it's 10 years on. 
And as I was saying, inequality, misogyny doesn't just happen in our parliament. It happens across our community. So reflecting on the fact that uh, the paid parental leave scheme, as it's set up, really um, supports women um, to take time out of the workforce. The next step is what does a scheme look like that also supports men to take time out of the workforce in those early years of their children's lives? Because all the evidence shows us that uh, if men are more involved in bringing up their children from the very beginning, it changes that whole dynamic over a woman's working life. So it means less time out of the workforce for her, less of those consequences around lost earnings. We know at the moment that the biggest group of um, homeless women are older women because they've had these interrupted working lives due to, to child rearing and now they're in a you know financially insecure position that they just shouldn't be in. Uh, we know it's good for men's relationships with their children. And we know it's good for children. So, you know, you think about the power for children to see both of their parents in primary carers' roles rather than thinking as they go through life, well, mum does most of that and dad does does the work stuff. And, you know, I know most modern couples, both parents are working, but all the data still tells us that while both parents are working, women are generally more likely to be working part-time and they're much more likely to be doing the caring load. So looking at how we update that paid parental leave scheme so it also supports men to, to take time out of the workforce. Does that have a knock-on effect to behaviour in parliament? Yeah, I think it does because, like I said, you know, misogyny doesn't begin and end in our parliament, unfortunately. Um, and, you know, I think, again, that the parliament can be a place of powerful symbols. Uh, so one of the reasons we decided to um, explore paid parental leave in the book is not only because Jenny was the architect of the original scheme and the, the woman who made sure it was introduced in Australia, but also because uh, for me as an MP now, I'm right in the middle of child rearing. So I've got a three and a half year old and I've got a seven month old. Wow. Um, and I'm doing that because, well, I'm able to do that and be an MP because at the moment my partner's on full-time leave. So he's been on leave since I had my baby seven months ago. During the year at various times, taking him and the baby with me to parliament, him and the um, baby and my three and a half year old. I've left the three and a half year old with the grandparents at various times. So sort of that symbolic piece as well, where I think, how do we also use our parliament to model what good work practices look like in terms of work and family? That's quite personal for me at the moment. Yeah, um, it's personal and it's real. I, it's mm. real and it's fantastic. And often when I see those photos of people with children in parliament, it just warms my heart actually, because it makes it feel more human as well, you know. Absolutely. Look, every time the baby's in the building, it's commented on by a number of MPs that we need the babies in the building and they just lower the aggression um, and everyone feels a bit better. So, you know, I think there's also that parliament as a symbol piece there, as I was saying, where, you know, we could do some work as a building on what it looks like to blend work and family, but hopefully also we could do some work as people who set laws for the country on what it looks like making it easier for Australian families to blend work and family. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about government generally, right? So when I look at you and you're so youthful and you're so smart and you've got so much energy and, you know, I think you're doing a fantastic job. Thank you. But, you know, you're somebody that I've always admired from afar. But when you have a look at the mood, and not just in Australia, globally, and the mood towards government is not great. The trust in government mm. is probably at an all-time low. I haven't got any figures in front of me. A lot of these crazy libertarian 
QAnon, which, you know, apparently the Prime Minister's linked to. But anyway, all those organisations come from, I think, a born out of lack of trust for leadership, you know, our leadership. Mm. Talk to me about that. I mean, how do we ever restore that? I'm so glad you brought this up because it's something that I am actually really passionate and interested about. So I didn't put my hand up to be an MP because I think the um, institution is completely broken. I put my hand up to be an MP because I think Parliament is a place that makes really important decisions for the lives of all Australians. And I think we can do so much better about how we show leadership in the place. So you're right when you say that people don't have a high opinion of Parliament, of MPs, that too often, you know, we don't show the leadership that we should from the building. So what do we do to fix that? Well, I think there's there are a few things. And part of that goes to some of what we've been talking about today. If we can't demonstrate to the country that we can treat women with respect and that we can, like every other workplace in this country, have the systems and structures in place that mean women are safe, then we are not doing our jobs there. I think some of the ways that we conduct ourselves in Parliament send the wrong message to people. So I'm a big believer and a big advocate for reforms to question time. It's the bit of Parliament that everyone sees. It's, you know, the school kids come in and watch us. You see them up in the gallery. And I always think when I see them, their teachers must be cringing because if they behaved like this in the classroom, there'd be, you know, I don't know what consequences are in school these days, but there'd be certainly, there'd be consequences for that. It's the bit that people see on TV. It's what makes the nightly news. And it is basically all of us shouting at each other and questions not being answered. So, yes, I think there's some theatre to politics and part of debating ideas and debating differences means that we will not always have quiet discussions, but I think that we could reform question time so that it's not just a shouting fest and so that actually we do get some answers to questions in in question time. And sort of going to the idea of women in parliament and the role of women in parliament, I also think that making reforms to question time um, might be one of those things that help more women to see parliament as a possible workplace for them. One of the things Jenny and I talk about in the book is actually how big the space in parliament is. So when you sit in the chamber, it's quite cavernous and it is really loud in there at question. Like the noise just really hits you. And Jenny describes how um, for a lot of her early career, she was sitting between Mark Latham and Lindsay Tanner, both really big men. And she said, you know, I felt like a squashed ant for a lot of that period. And you know, Jenny could really hold her own in question time. I talk in the book about how I did a quick Twitter search for the member for Jagger Jagger and all of what came up was Jenny being warned by the speaker because she had a voice that really cut through all of that noise. So she definitely held her own. But when I think about, you know, an environment that women outside the parliament look at and think, John, I'll put my hand up to want to be part of that. I think the sort of t- testosterone-driven anger-fueled question time that they see is probably off-putting for a lot of women. So thinking about making changes to that and how we demonstrate through that. that actually, I, I mean, I think they look so okay. What I see from where I sit, and I do watch politics closely, not just locally but internationally, and what I see 
is I see uh, generations and, you know, people like yourself and younger, they're growing up with social media. They're growing up with finding news and getting news at that moment. They're moving very fast and they're moving on a 24-hour cycle. And we all know that. And we know that that's, that's the change that's happening. But when you have a look at the political systems around the world, they're hundreds of years old. And I'm wondering if the two don't meet anymore. Is that why people are feeling so disconnected? Is it that, you know, men sitting in a cavernous, you know, middle-aged white men sitting in a cavernous room shouting at each other is just no longer relevant? I think you are onto something there. Um, Again, another element of reform that we talk about in the book is the use of remote parliament. So, you know, you and I are doing a podcast via Zoom right now. Um during the height of the pandemic last year in, in 2020, um, I'm based in Melbourne. Um, so we obviously had a very long period of lockdown where it just was not possible for me to travel to Canberra. The requirement the ACT government put in place for Melbourne MPs at that stage was if you wanted to make it to Parliament, you had to do 14 days quarantine either in the ACT or you had to quarantine in Melbourne in your house and your whole family had to quarantine with you. Now, I was pregnant. Um, I had at that stage a two and a half year old, the idea of keeping her in the house for 14 days at a time on successive periods just so I could get to Parliament just wasn't feasible. So one of the things we worked on and, and had a lot of discussions about last year as MPs was setting up the use of remote facilities for MPs who couldn't get to Canberra. And it was actually a very serious discussion. There were a lot of people um, in the parliament who felt the weight of that tradition, um, who felt that it was important that MPs be there in person. Um, personally, for me, I was very much like, well, let's just do it. I want to be able to represent the people of my electorate. I can't get to Canberra. Let's make it happen. The technology is there. Um, and I must say very much the community, once we finally got around to it, were sort of like, how, why did it take you so long? We've all been Zooming and work now for months. It's taken you guys months to get to this point. So it's really good we got there. What it meant was that um, for people like me, we could still speak in the parliament. We couldn't vote, but we could still speak in the parliament. So make sure that, you know, the voices of our constituents were heard on all the important issues of the day. So, again, one of the things that um, I talk about in the book is that I think extending that sort of system where uh, it is possible if you have caregiving responsibilities, and we know lots of women, as I said, they're the ones with caregiving responsibilities, for that period of time, maybe you can do parliament remotely rather than needing to travel to and from Canberra. If, you, if you've got an illness that means you need treatment, maybe you can do parliament remotely for that period of time. And um, again, Australia wasn't the only parliament that turned remote for COVID. The UK parliament did similar and one of the groups over there who um, are working to try and get more women into politics, their conclusion was that seeing MPs do parliament from their homes was actually a good thing in terms of women and, and a more diverse group of women, hopefully, maybe seeing themselves being able to be MPs. So that's something that I'd like to see the parliament make as an ongoing possibility for people who do who do have times when they can't get to Canberra. And I think it does go to that modernising procedures that, yes, were set up. Presenting uh, it in a format the young people understand. I mean, you know, absolutely it's hard. Kate, thank you so much for your time today. I mean, I could I could talk for so much longer, but we're, we're out of time. I mean, I've got to say, I always think about female politicians and think that it is a huge public service, regardless what side you're on, because it's not an easy job. So thank you so much. 
Thank you, Cheryl. Um, it is it is not an easy job, but it's actually an honour and a privilege. And at the moment, it feels really important to be fighting for Australian women. So thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBookstore. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.